0: Good afternoon, welcome to the Eco News Report, KHSU's weekly program covering environmental issues that matter most on the North Coast and in our bioregion. I'm your host this week, Jennifer Calt, Director of Humboldt Baykeeper. Today, my guest is Dr. Lori Richmond of the Humboldt State University Environmental Science and Management Department, who is wrapping up research on fishing community sustainability planning in Eureka and Shelter Cove. Thank you so much for being on the EcoNews Report today, Lori. Thanks for having me, Jen. I'm really excited to be here. So Lori, you and your three graduate students who worked on this study were my guests for the June 2017 EcoNews Report when you were just launching the study.
1: Yeah, it's been about a two-year effort My students were Laura Casali, Robert Dumichel, and Wyatt Smith, and we spent about two years working with the fishing communities of Shelter Cove and Eureka on strategic planning activities. It's termed Fishing Community Sustainability Planning, and it's about assessing the baseline conditions of the fishing community, how it's doing, and also figuring out what are some areas for improvement or investment. And then through that, developing a series of recommendations for how the port could be improved for its long-term sustainability. And when we think about sustainability, typically you think about environmental sustainability, but we took kind of a holistic approach to think about social, economic, and environmental sustainability. Sort of how do you keep fishing communities around and thriving? And we did that over the course of two years, and we just released draft plans for both of the communities. And so we're here to talk about what's in the plans to give you a sense of what's going on in the fishing communities and what fishing communities and fishing bring to the broader communities of Shelter Cove and Eureka, and also thinking about what are some investments that could be made to improve things.
0: Great. Well, why don't you start out by telling us how you set about doing the study?
1: Yeah, so the whole goal was to try to have more of a bottom-up process. So working really closely with fishermen, with waterfront stakeholders, with local government entities to try to develop a plan that kind of really comes from them. And so the first thing that we did is that in each of the ports, we formed an advisory committee, which was just some stakeholders from various groups to kind of come together and help guide the process. And Jen, you were part of that committee. So you got to go to that meeting. And there was about, you know, 15 members of that committee or so. We had a committee for Eureka and for Shelter Cove. What we did was we sort of met with them. We brainstormed about ideas, what's going well in the port, what needs some improvement, and also talked a little bit about what's the best mode of outreach. So we met with that advisory committee in the beginning and at the end of the project, which I'll talk about later. Then we conducted one-on-one interviews with stakeholders, and we conducted 108 interviews for this project. That includes 46 in Shelter Cove and 62 in Eureka. So that includes commercial fishermen of all types, whether it's trawl fleet or really small scale guys, recreational fishermen, charter operators, people in the mariculture industry, local government officials, people that work in support industries like processing and and fish buyers and tourism as well to try to kind of get a holistic view of the port and to hear from as many people as possible. During those interviews, we kind of asked a couple of simple questions. What's going well in the port? What needs improvement? What have you seen in other ports to help strengthen the fishing industry and community? And if you had $5 to invest, how would you invest it? And so we kind of took all those recommendations that stakeholders gave and tried to turn those into a, a cohesive group. We also held public workshops, one in Eureka and one in Shelter Cove. That was just open to anybody, and it was kind of fun. It was Charette style, so we had tables set up with butcher paper over different topics, and people could kind of come with their ideas about what they'd like to see in the port, in the community going forward. And there was a fun exercise where when you walked in, each person was given 50 Eureka or Shelter Cove bucks. And then there was a whole host of projects in Manila Avalos on the wall. And they could decide how they wanted to invest that. And then we could tally up which projects, you know, were the most popular or most need of investment. And so we got all of that different data together. And we analyzed existing data, like landings data, census data, existing reports. And we came up with a draft idea of recommendations, like based on the weaknesses that we hear and the investments people want to hear, these are some of the priorities. And then we met back with the advisory committees, and we said, all right, this is a long list of recommendations. How do you want to see this ordered or prioritized? What do you think, you know, really should be included in the plan, and what's maybe less important? And so through those meetings, we kind of came with a consensus idea about, all right, these are the top recommendations. And then we wrote some plans. The plans include a social chapter, an economic chapter, an environmental and natural resources chapter, as well as a chapter on infrastructure and critical services. And those sort of describe the baseline conditions, and a lot of them show things that are really strong in in both the communities. Sometimes there's a stereotype or an idea that fishing is a dying industry, but it's actually a big driver of our economy locally. And then the end of the plans contains the recommendations, also with some ideas of funding sources or examples from other ports as to how you could implement those recommendations.
0: So for people who don't know a lot about the fishing communities in Shelter Cove and Eureka, how do they fit in in the bigger picture in California as far as what sizes they are?
1: Yeah, you know, Shelter Cove is a really small rural port. It's probably one of the smaller fishing communities in California, and it's unique in that way. It's a very special port. It's kind of had throughout history a nickname the Mosquito Fleet because vessels are so small. You know, if you look around Eureka, you see docks and marinas and a lot of infrastructure for commercial fishing, large processing plants, things like that. Shelter Cove doesn't have any of that. They have a small jetty, and boats need to be launched every day via a tractor system or off someone's truck the boats can't be that big they have to be able to fit on a trailer they're launched in the day and they come in in the night so it's really small scale really community-based and pretty low impact on the resource, right? There's no trawl fisheries, so it's all kind of hook and line and trolling, pretty low impact methods of fishing. But they also don't have a processing plant, and they don't have like an ice facility or cold storage. Fishermen have to get really creative in terms of selling their product. Oftentimes, they'll catch it, and they'll put it on a truck immediately and ship it out. And there's one buyer that comes to Shelter Cove to buy a commercially caught fish called the White Vans. It's a a couple of white vans, and they put ice in it, and then they actually truck the fish to various farmers markets in, in northern and central California. So it's a pretty exciting thing, but kind of vulnerable of just have one buyer if something happens with that. So I think
0: looking for more market opportunities would be really helpful. And Eureka is one of the bigger fishing communities in the state.
1: Yeah, so Eureka is consistently within the top 10 ports of California in terms of landings. So it's on the smaller end of big for, for California. Shelter Cove, since 1990, there's been 4.6 million in landings coming through. Which is an average of 173,000 a year, which is pretty low, but it's bumped around a lot. And in recent years, it's been closer to 500,000. So, half a million for a port with that little infrastructure and small vessels, that's pretty exciting. There are about 24 commercial vessels that operate out of Shelter Cove right now. That number has jumped around a lot. There was a time when it was as low as seven. And I think there was this real concern of, is commercial fishing going to happen in this community anymore? And I think that increase is a really great sign and just a lot of creativity and adaptivity in the fleet that's happened. And when fishermen kind of talk about the old days when the Mosquito Fleet was really huge and there was a buyer based in in Shelter Cove, they talk about hundreds of vessels, over a hundred vessels kind of fishing out of the port and A decline in salmon, some salmon closures, and then challenges with the groundfish fishery and the declaration of a disaster. A number of regulatory things just made it harder and harder to fish out of there. But there seems to be kind of an uptick and some really exciting things happening in the community. And I think with a few investments, it could become a thriving place to fish on a
0: small scale. So how are the landings tallied in a port like Shelter Cove? How do people keep track of that?
1: When you have fish that you're going to sell, it's that the, the buyer of the fish has to fill out. what's called a fish ticket. And they tally how many pounds of fish was landed. And they also include information on what price was paid for it. And then all of that data goes to CDF&W, who then can tally and aggregate that data. And so then you can get data on from a given port, how many fishermen were fishing in that port, what was landed in that port. And what was the value of it? So you can get pounds, you can get value, and you can get that usually by fishery. And you have to work closely with CDF&W. They do release some data summaries online, but for a report like this, you have to kind of get a little bit more detailed data. But yeah, so that you can get that data.
0: And so how does Eureka compare in terms of landings?
1: Yeah, so Eureka is much bigger scale. Eureka has... You know, a whole range of types. We have a groundfish trawl. We have a trawl fleet that fishes on a pretty big scale for groundfish and shrimp and a number of of other species. In addition to having some slightly smaller fleets that kind of fish a variety of, of Dungeness crab... Maybe some ground fish, some sable fish or black cod that kind of do a variety of things. Dungeness crab is a huge part of the port. Something like 60% of the ex- vessel value on average comes from that one fishery. It's a really important fishery for Eureka and for Shelter Cove too. So we talked about Shelter Cove having 4.6 million since 1990. Eureka's had 324 million. So it's a multi million dollar port consistently. That's an average of $12 million per year, but it's, you know, been in the $20 million some recently, and some of that has to do with the high price that Crab has gotten in some of the years. So it's a really big, important industry. And, right, this is without the multiplier effect. So when you think about those kinds of landings, you know, something like some of the estimates of multipliers have been like, take that number times 1.5, and that's, you know, how it ends up benefiting the economy. So... So it you know brings a lot of jobs. There's different support businesses. Both Eureka and Shelter Cove have, it's called CPFV, Commercial Passenger Fishing Vessel, which is charter operations where they, they can take people that want to go fishing out for an experience. Both Eureka and Shelter Cove have charter operations that are a big part of driving tourism and keeping fishing and, and people that come stay at hotels and spend in restaurants and things like that. And both have recreational fishing as well as a pretty big part of what they do. This plan kind of looks at all of those
0: aspects. And you looked at the oyster industry as well, which in 2016 brought in $9 million, which is rivaling the fishing industry as in terms of income.
1: Yeah, it's it's a a really big industry. There wasn't a lot a lot of good data like on the bay scale, so it was really difficult to figure out. All right, like how many oysters are we selling here? How much are we bringing in? How many jobs? Kind of connected with this project, we did a business survey of the mariculture businesses. So there's six businesses on the bay, but there's one that's going through permitting, so there might be a seventh relatively soon. And we just had kind of a basic economic survey of sort of production, revenue, things like that. Yeah, and we found that in 2016, they sold $9.8 million worth of oysters, and that's about 10 million whole oysters another big component of the oyster industry is seed production hog island one of the oyster businesses recently opened up a hatchery where they're attempting to have sort of a breeding or mating program and they produce larvae and then there's a couple of seed setting facilities where you can get the larvae from other hatcheries but then set it and then have it grow out
0: it grows out on what are called flopsies what's the abbreviation A Aflepsy is a floating upwelling system, which is basically a raft with a paddle wheel on one end that pulls the water through the bins of oyster seed so that the nutrients can be filtered out of the water by the oyster seed.
1: Yeah, making oysters is a pretty complex multi-stage process. You get the larva, you set the seed, and then you kind of grow it out to various sizes until it's big enough, and then you can kind of put it out on rafts where it will become mature oysters. In addition to be able to just sell a beautiful oyster like ones that you would get, you can sell the seed. And that's actually a really big business. There's seed shortages throughout the industry. And Humble Bay is the only bay in california with a disease-free history, so there's never been big oyster or shellfish diseases here. So we can sell our seed to a lot of places. That's a growing and big part of our business. About a third of revenue from the oyster industry is from seed. So that's a lesser-known fact that's pretty interesting that seed is such an important part because we always just think about, you know, buying the beautiful oysters
0: to eat. Of the more locally based producers, a lot of them are selling locally if you're just joining us, this is the Eco News Report. I'm your host, Jennifer Colt with Humboldt Baykeeper, and I'm speaking with Dr. Lori Richmond about her fishing community sustainability planning process for Eureka and Shelter Cove. Okay, so Lori, let's launch into the recommendations that you and your team came up with at the end of this study. All
1: right, so I'll start with Shelter Cove. We had kind of a long list of recommendations for Shelter Cove, and we met with the advisory committee and talked about, all right, how do you want to arrange and prioritize this. And they decided to have a tight list of 13 recommendations and to kind of list them in what they thought of as priority order. So, you know, these are the ones that come sooner, slightly higher priority but for the community all of these things are important so if there's a chance to implement one ahead of the other that's you know certainly fine so i'll talk about the different recommendations the first recommendation was forming an a fishing association or organization and increasing and becoming more effective in political engagement so shelter cove had a really active it was called shelter cove fishing association that disbanded in the 90s and part of the reason why it disbanded was just the number of fishermen fishing out of the port just dwindled and they, they weren't getting the same kind of contributions and and weren't feeling as active. The association used to be really powerful and kind of helped advocate for the community on a number of things and work together to make sure projects happened and, and things like that. But it had disbanded and the port is fairly isolated, and they kind of had become isolated in political conversations, things that happen at the federal, state, and even just local level, like Harbor District and county, just really not at the table for those conversations. And that makes it hard for you to get the things that you want or need for your port and to make sure that policies don't negatively affect you. So a big recommendation is that, you know, if you want all the rest of these recommendations to happen, to help be a little bit more organized and engaged as a community and i'm happy to report that as this plan was re- released they are in the process of forming an association called shelter cove fishing preservation inc and they've been meeting sometimes twice a week they developed a board and some bylaws and really are getting organized and so there's a, a variety of reasons why that has happened but It's been really exciting, and I I was at the Harbor District meeting last week, and the Harbor District said, oh, it's just so exciting to see you guys have so much capacity, and they're starting to work with the Harbor District as partners
0: on some things down there. The Humboldt Bay Harbor Recreation and Conservation District actually manages the facilities at Shelter Cove.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a long story, or or it's maybe not intuitive, but Shelter Cove's unincorporated, so they don't have a city. They have a resort improvement district, but that has some limitations. It's similar to a community services district, but can do a little bit more. But, you know, their primary focus is on utilities and fire out there. The Harbor District helped put in the jetty that's there. And so they're responsible for the jetty, the launch site, and a couple of other pieces of property, the fish cleaning station. So they have some vested interest in there. And then the past years have been kind of becoming more engaged on that property. And so having a good working relationship with the Harbor District is really important for the community. There's a piece of property called the Marina property where there's a lot of important things like the boatyard is located there. That's owned by a private individual, and the Harbor District recently entered into a long-term lease on that property and started doing some more active involvement in helping run the launch system in the boatyard and things like that. Yeah, so the Harbor District's pretty important for Shelter Cove. The second recommendation is a reliable, sustainable launch system. The way boats are launched, as I mentioned, is through a, a tractor And usually, you know, to keep running consistently, you kind of need two or three, if ideally, because sometimes one can be broken down to kind of manage getting all the boats in and out of the water. And this used to be privately run, but that, for various reasons, the private things have gone out of business. And so the Harbor District took over about a year ago and started running it. But there were some logistical challenges of running it from so far away. And so actually, the Harbor District is entering an agreement with the newly formed Shelter Cove Fishing Preservation, Inc., and they're probably going to take over running the launch system. Around March, that transition might be happening. When we were doing interviews, it was a real area of uncertainty. But if you don't have a launch system, you can't get boats in the water. It's like one of those things do or die for a fishing community. And so there was a lot of, you know, kind of worry about what's going to happen with this system in the long term. So in some ways, the Harbor District and Shelter Cove Fishing Preservation, Inc. are like working out a solution to this so we might even say that number two is is getting figured out as we speak but thinking about how to to have a long-term sustainable launch is is a big important part the next piece which i mentioned is the fish cleaning station at shelter cove there are some challenges with getting that permitted because Shelter Cove is a area of biological significance. And so Harbor District, Shelter Cove, and the Resort Improvement District have been working on getting that fish cleaning station online and potentially figuring out there's a lot of kind of fish guts and bones if there might be a way to convert that into fertilizer and sell it to a farm or an agricultural facility. So those are kind of some long-term ideas of trying to get that fish cleaning station online and, and sustainable... But it's a huge part of Shelter Cove because there's a lot of recreational and charter fishing. And so when the boats come in, the fish cleaning station isn't for commercial fishing, but that's where they can clean the fish. And before there was a fish cleaning station, people would just leave guts in the ocean or in the beach, and it would wash up on the shore. And there'd be lots of birds and pelicans and things. So it's like a social hub of the community, but also plays a really important function on keeping recreational fishing happening. And keeping waste kind of in one place. Other recommendations, processing cold storage and ice facilities. So having a place where they can get ice and do processing, really important for the industry to keep growing. Getting greater control over the marina property, which as I mentioned has private ownership, is a a priority. Traffic, circulation, and parking improvements to get better circulation kind of in that waterfront area. Maintenance of the boat ramp, making sure that the boat ramp is regularly, sort of the sediment is cleared so that ramp stays usable. Exploring different marketing opportunities, attracting a different fish buyer, looking at ways to sell fish locally or through something like community-supported fishery. The road to Shelter Cove is a a challenge, so making sure that's maintained. For a lot of fishermen, they have to get their fish to market that day. If there's a blowout on a culvert and they can't go, it can be a big deal. So keeping that road in good condition. Some of the fishermen in Shelter Cove are getting older. When they retire, you know, recruiting some younger fishermen that kind of can take their place and make sure there's more fishing. <coughs> Access to commercial fish stocks. So a lot of fishermen refer to what they have as a poverty quota, which means what the state of California allows them to fish is so small that they can't hardly make a living on it. Getting involved in regulatory processes or even forming something called a community quota fund where maybe at the county level, county can buy up fish permits and fish quota and then lease that to individual fishermen. Habitat restoration and protection, especially for salmon, making sure those stocks are healthy. And promoting tourism and recreational fishing, which is key to Shelter Cove's community. I think commercial, recreational, charter, they're all stronger working together. So that's the recommendations for Shelter Cove. So Eureka, instead of having kind of like a list of 13, the way Shelter Cove, they had recommendations grouped into different categories of things that need to be addressed. And the first was infrastructure and critical services. For that, the top recommendation was to protect marine-dependent uses. So make sure that waterfront areas that are needed for the commercial fishing industry or mariculture industry stay that way and don't get encroached on by tourism or other uses. A cold storage and ice facility was a big priority for everyone. It burned down. It's an important need. Sometimes there's fish that could be landed here but isn't because there's no cold storage facility to hold it. So that could be a big help for the community. Dredging is a big issue. It kind of reached emergency levels last year. The dredging hadn't happened regularly, so during low tide, some of the
0: boats were out of the water. You're talking about dredging the marinas, right, not the shipping channels?
1: Well, I mean, making sure that both are done consistently. Yeah. So there's Army Corps of Engineers does the shipping channels, but then kind of the individual marinas and certain smaller channels were responsible for locally. And that's often a collaboration between Eureka and the Harbor District, the city of Eureka. There's a lot of challenges getting that permitted. It's really, I think Jen knows a lot about that. So trying to come up with a long-term dredging and sediment management plan because it seems to have been happening more on an emergency basis and instead it would be nicer for the fleet to have it happen regularly. But kind of just like a launch service in Shelter Cove, that's one of those, you know, do or die things. If if you don't dredge and the boats are stuck, they can't get out to sea and they can't fish. The mariculture industry, one of their top recommendations was the pre-permitting process and, and some permit streamlining, especially for smaller businesses that want to get into mariculture. Some of the permitting is just so expensive and complicated to do. So the Harbor District is supporting a, a pre-permitting process where they're going to get some grow out grounds permitted, and then they can lease those to the smaller businesses. And there's a, a big priority that some businesses would like to see that happen. Gear storage and security, spaces where fishing gear, mariculture gear can be stored, increasing those spaces and increasing the security. Dock and marina maintenance, just keeping things maintained. Sometimes it can be just challenging to find funding to do that. And then the next category was economics and markets. The first recommendation was markets analysis and development. There were some concerns that it's kind of hard to buy locally caught fish here in restaurants and to some extent in in various stores. There could be a market study to kind of look at what market channels exist, how you could develop those, maybe some value-added products to get, and potentially even something like community-supported fishery, what are some different models that are possible. And to make some of those work, you might need cold storage as a part of that as well. Access to commercial fish resources is important in Eureka, too. There's a real worry about over-reliance on crabs, so if there's other permits they can get, maybe going in with Shelter Cove and Eureka on a community quota fund for the county could be a way to get more resources. And the next category was social, thinking about representation, leadership, and political engagement, the Eureka Fleet has an active marketing association, Humboldt Fisherman's Marketing Association, that's active and politically engaged and does a lot of great things. There may be a way to kind of have a more broad-based organization that includes recreational charter and things like that. And recruiting more and younger people to get involved in policy. And there are actually some online training courses called Marine Resource Education Program where fishermen can kind of get trained in how these policy processes work because they're complex and there's a lot of different ones you have to understand from the local state to the federal level, even international level for tuna and things. Recruit and retain new fishermen. So, similar to Shelter Cove, finding ways to get new fishermen in, whether it's vocational training programs or maybe mentorship, where a more experienced fisherman can mentor younger ones and kind of bring them into the fold. That's an important consideration. Habitat restoration and protection is important here too, especially thinking about salmon. Water quality protection is important to all the years, but especially the mariculture industry. So kind of being engaged in water quality conversations. Collaborative research related to marine resources and changing ocean conditions. There's a lot of kind of things on the horizon that could really affect mariculture and fishing, including ocean acidification, ocean warming, and harmful algal blooms, which is kind of what's caused the domoic acid outbreaks. So working in coordination, helping drive and collaborate in research related to those things, as well as sea level rise vulnerability assessment.
0: Well, and all these issues are of great importance to Humboldt Baykeeper. And, you know, the Waterkeeper Alliance was founded by commercial fishermen back in New York because of concerns for water pollution in the Hudson River. And so we work quite a bit with the oyster industry, which relies heavily on water quality. And all these issues related to a thriving fishing community are really important to Humboldt Baykeeper because if people continue eating fish out of their waterways, and enjoy going fishing and swimming and other activities on, the, on Humboldt Bay, they will be really much more concerned about protecting Humboldt Bay. Thank you so much for being on the Eco News Report.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, and we're going to be presenting at the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors meeting on January 8th at 930. If you want to see some slides and some more detail, look at some of these statistics and recommendations.
0: So those meetings are all broadcast streaming online, and they also are played on Access Humboldt Channel 12, both live and in reruns, too. So you have a website just for this study where the reports are posted. Hosted, right
1: it's www.humboldtfishplan.com and these are called public review drafts so you can see both eureka and shelter cove They're works in progress so we have the draft available but we are looking for any input especially from fishing community members if there's things they'd like to see we're collecting all that and then we'll gather all that input and release final plans later
0: Okay, great. I'll post that link to the archives page for the Eco News report so people don't have to write that down. You can just go to KSU archives
1: all right and i just would like to thank this was funded by the NOAA Saltonstall stall kennedy grant program which is grants to support commercial fishing industry as well as the csu agricultural research institute which helped with the mariculture component and i would just like to thank everybody that participated you know fishermen local government employees they're all really busy and they took their time to be interviewed or be a part of the study we thank them so much.
0: Let us know what you think of the final plans and give us your feedback. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Jennifer Colt and I've been your host for the past half hour. I was speaking with Lori Richmond of Humboldt State University about fishing community sustainability. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay the whole interview or share it with others, you can go to the KHSU archives at khsu.org. And you can also listen on iTunes or wherever else you download podcasts. The EcoNews Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin, as always, for engineering. Join us again next week for the Econews Report.